0: Ephesians chapter 4, from verses 17 through 24. This is Paul's treatise on the church. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is God's word. You now Ephesians chapters 1 through three talk about the foundations of the church, the gospel. We looked at that for quite some time and. Then you get into Ephesians chapter 3 and 4, and that gets into what the church really is, this community, this body of the church, what real unity is, what real maturity is. And the latter part of chapter 4 calls us to grow into the likeness of Jesus, grow into his wisdom, grow into his joy, grow into his character. This passage, really important passage, tells us how. How do we change? Because after five years of of being a pastor at Metro, one thing is clear, our modern church does not know how to change. But the amazing thing, it's like one of the most amazing things about Christianity is this, you can actually change. A lot of people talk about, when they talk about change, they talk about internal things that are happening. But do they last? Do they result in, In lasting change. It's important because in our world today we tend to assume things uh, that can be changed, and we tend to try to fix things that we should really just assume, things that have been given to us. We tend to try to fix things that should change our character because it can. In Christ, it can. And yet we try to fix things. We focus. We're fixated on things like our looks, things that God has given us. We're going to walk through four points today, four quick points today. Our darkness and sin, that's why we need to change. Clarity in the word, what change is. Our human responsibility in change, or to change, and the power to change. Why we need it, what it is, what's our responsibility in it, what's our power to do it, okay? Four quick things. First, why do we need it? the darkness in our sin. Verse 17, Paul begins with this. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Anytime you hear in the Bible, I tell you something, and I insist on it. It means what? You need to pay attention. You need to look at this, listen to this, apply this in your life. What is it? He says, you want to mature? You want to grow? You want to grow out of your spiritual immaturity and into the body of Christ? One, verse 11 to 16, which we were covering before, he says, you need to come under the ministry of the word. Submit to the word of God. But then verse 17, he says this, stop living like the Gentiles do because their thinking is futile. Their thinking takes them nowhere. Why? Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. We're gonna have to unpack this a little bit. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, right? He kind of goes on in a progression here, so we're going to unpack this a little bit. Paul says this, if you are not a Christian, you can't change. You think you're changing, but it won't last. It only comes down to the next challenge. It's only come down to the next breaking point. You won't be able to change. Why? He says this, because Of the darkened, we are darkened in our understanding. When you're in a room and it's pitch black, it's dark, there's no light, you can't see. Even if it's your room, even if it's your house, something that's familiar to you, even if you've grown up in it, if it's pitch black, no matter what you do, the darkness is too overwhelming, the darkness is too overpowering, and so you are helpless, you are blind. When it's dark, there is no freedom. That's why Jesus, in John chapter 8, he stands in front of these candelabras at the east side of Jerusalem, at the temple. These candelabras have been turned off. It's almost like, kind of like a, the feeling you feel when something great, some great spiritual experience is over, and they're taking everything down because it was really the culmination of a great feast that the Jews used to celebrate year after year after year. It was a great festive time, and now it's over. And Jesus stands in front of these candelabras that have been taken down, and he says what? I am the light of the world. That's what he says. Why? Why? He says, if you have me, you have light. First John, if you have him, you have life. Why? Because light gives you freedom. Light gives you clarity. If you are darkened, if you are in a dark place, if you are in a room that is pitch black, there is no freedom. You're going to cling to your instincts. You know what that means? You may be able to negotiate a little bit based on your understanding what you do know, what you do understand. You may be able to navigate just a little bit. You might have some idea of what's in the room. But it's not reality. It's dark. You can't see. And if you can't see, you can't function properly, not the way that you were designed. Your instincts, your base instincts in the dark is all you have you will not thrive you will not grow you will not mature plato great philosopher we've all heard of plato plato writes in the voice of socrates in the his pretty much his seminal piece of work the republic and in the republic he writes kind of an allegorical story called the cave it's plato's cave and he says the cave is really about a group of people who are chained to a wall a blank wall and it's dark And there's a light behind them, so they see shadows. And they grew up in that light, that very dim, dark place. So the shadows are all they know of reality. And he says, suppose one man escapes from that reality, comes out and sees the sun for the first time in his life. That sun is almost more blinding than when they were in the cave. So it's painful to feel. It's painful to see. But then what happens? There's clarity. And you realize at that point, that all your life you were living in darkness. Suppose that man were to come back into the cave and tell his friends, we are in darkness. This is We're chained. We are enslaved. We're in prison. What would it take for these people to understand and to know if they had not seen the light themselves? Paul says that we are ignorant. Actually, Plato says these men in the cave are ignorant. They are ignorant. Paul says this, if you're not a Christian, that's how we live in the world. You're blind. All you've got are your base instincts. It's all you have. That's what's right to you. And he says you're separated from the life of God because you don't know what you were designed to be. You don't know your real potential. You don't know why you were created. You don't know who created you. You're blind. And so you think that wealth and you think power, getting people's approval, that's that's what's gonna increase your power, that's what's gonna increase potential and your joy and your freedom, but you're darkened. And because you're darkened, because you're alienated, separated from God, you're actually running from true potential, true power, true joy, true freedom. And so the things that you run to that you think are gonna increase your power and your freedom and your joy are actually things that are gonna decrease your power and your freedom and your joy. When your friend gives you advice, and you don't want to hear your friend. You, don't, you just don't want to hear that advice. You hear it, but you don't want to hear it. What do you do? You ignore it. Why do you ignore it? Paul says, because your heart is hard. You chose to ignore it. You avoid that person. Sometimes you hate that person. That person is your friend. That person is outside of the cave. That person is trying to tell you you are in prison, you are enslaved, come out. But you don't want to listen because you want to cling to your base instincts. You know yourself. You know the world. You're wiser than that person, right? That's how we think. We ignore, we choose to ignore. We sometimes ignore the person, avoid the person, neglect the person, hate the person, run from the person. Not because they're wrong a lot of times, It's because they're actually right, but it makes you feel foolish. It makes you feel low. It makes you feel uncomfortable. What they said, you know, it hurts what they've revealed about you. Now, why are we darkened? Why are we separated? Is it because we have bad genes? Is it because uh, we have bad biology? Is it because uh, you're in bad circumstances? Is it because you have a bad upbringing? Paul says no. Paul says you've chosen. You chose this. Your heart is hard, and so you've chosen to ignore the life of God, and as a result, you're alienated from God. As a result, you're separated from God. Think about this. No matter how hard right now you try to escape God, No matter how much you rebel against God, you're never completely going to get away. You're always actually a part of His grace. The sun's still shining, and it shines not just on Christians, it shines on everybody. You're always a part of His grace. And the result is, in some way, shape, or form, you're always right now in this moment kept somewhat intact. But if your heart remains hard against God, right, because as long as you're alive, Right now, you're still able to love, you're still able to think, you're still able to create things, you're still able to enjoy this life as a blessing, but the Bible says you can do all these things. You can do all these things and yet still have a hard heart against God, towards God. And it's because you're actually enjoying it. It's not because this stuff is so bad. I mean, you might know some things are bad, but you're enjoying it. And so it gets easier and easier and easier to ignore God, to continue running, because it's been working. It's been working for you. You're young, you're beautiful, tremendous potential that you haven't experienced yet, fully realized yet. And so if you continue ignoring, continue running, continue neglecting, it's like a cycle, a feedback loop. Your heart just gets harder, and it's working for you. And so you continue to ignore, continue to run, one day you might actually succeed to completely get away. You know what hell is? We think we're thrown in hell. C.S. Lewis says, you choose it. Hell is a place where people who've tried all their lives to get away from God finally succeed. What's the result? What's the result of our hardened hearts and the ignorance that, that comes from that? Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, we've given ourselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's what he says. Paul says, because our hearts are hard, we've grown numb. You ever go to the dentist? Your dentist shoots you Finds a cavity, something wrong. Shoots you with Novocaine, some sort of uh, some sort of you know uh, medicine or something like that. Drug into your gums, and that starts to spread from your gums all the way to the side of your cheek, right? And um, what happens is uh, that not only your gums get numb, but your whole the whole side of your face goes numb, right? That's what happens. So you can pinch it and you can squeeze it. You can, you can do also, you can scratch it. You can even pierce it. And you, would, you don't feel it, right? You can't feel anything if you're numb. And Paul says that's us when we're separated from the life of God. Our sin creates a darkness and a separation and then a numbness. And so we're trying to feel something in our lives. We just want to feel something. That's why we're addicts to our work, because when you work and you succeed, it feels good. That's why we're addicts to our substances, because when you're under the influence of these substances, it feels good. That's why we're addicts to our relationships, because those relationships, you can... You can I mean, I, I, I graduated with a biology and chemistry major. Go figure, Right? And the thing is, your biology will tell you, if your scientists will tell you that all this stuff, they can, they can uh, explain that with science. But the thing is, let's face it, when you get into a relationship, regardless of the hormonal uh, makeup, regardless of any of these things, it feels good when your relationships are going well, right? Right? That's why we invest so much in our spouses, why we invest so much in our children, in our homes, because ha- shopping, retail therapy, that's what they call it, because it feels good. Anything that's going to make you feel something. Paul says there is a continual lust for more. We want to feel something, and these things feel good. It's not that they're, they make you feel bad, they make you feel good. It feels good when you're promoted. It feels good when somebody special pays attention to you. It feels good when you get paid for something that you've created, something that you did, but it's also it's also why we lie. It's also why we cheat. It's also why we steal. It's also why we're anxious, why we overwork, why we're jealous, why we're angry, why we're unforgiving. Do you see that? Right now, Paul says, you can stop. Stop living like the Gentiles do. You can stop. You can end the darkness. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to keep ignoring. Paul says, I insist on it in the Lord. That's why we need it. What is it? The clarity of the word. Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ this way. Verse 21. Surely you heard of him. And you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul says, you've not come to know Christ just to feel something. In other words, Christianity, it's not less than a feeling, it's more than a feeling. Verse 21, surely you heard of him. In the Greek, that phrase, surely you heard of him, it's actually surely you heard him as if you directly heard from him. You directly encountered him. You see, on one hand, Christianity is not less than a feeling, it's more than a feeling. On the other hand, Christianity is not less than information. You need information, but it's more than information. It's more than knowledge. It's more than doctrine. It's a direct connection, a direct encounter, a direct connection with the truth that is in Jesus. You're experiencing the person of Jesus directly. There's a real encounter with the truth, real reality in your life. Christianity is an experience with the truth. That's the word of God, the truth in Jesus in a way that completely shapes you. Remember, Paul's not talking to people who follow Jesus physically. Jesus had died and ascended back into heaven. Paul was talking to people who never knew Jesus in person, personally in that way, in a physical way, but their hearts had been softened to him through other people. Jesus became real to them. The truth became real to them. This is the difference between a religious person and a Christian. Both the religious person and the Christian, they may have the same information, but a Christian encounters Jesus in a way where he's tasted the truth and he sees that the Lord is good. Jesus is real. Palpable, tangible, tasted, digested, it's nourished him. It's powered him. When you eat something good, good for you, it nourishes you and then it powers you. It's more than knowledge because, you know, knowledge, it's knowledge that has become a sensation. And one day, right? One day, as C.S. Lewis says, we will pass. This body will pass. This body only has five senses. One day, we will have a thousand senses to experience Jesus. This information that you've taken in has crossed over to reality. And so Christianity is a deep experience, a deep personal experience with a rational body of truth. On one hand, it's truth. It's knowledge. It's news. That's why it's called the gospel. On the other hand, it's not just news. It's a deep experience of this rational body of truth. And when you've experienced the person of Jesus, that truth rearranges you, overturns you. How does that happen? Verse 25, it's printed in your bulletins. We haven't read it. I believe it was preached last week. Verse 25, you live with integrity. Verse 26 to 27, your relationships are handled with integrity. You know what integrity is? The inside has to be the same as the outside. So, you can't be nice on the outside and be angry on the inside. Does that make sense? There's integrity, right? Verse 28 you work with in- integrity. Verse 29, you speak with integrity. Verse 30, 31, you think with integrity. Verse 32, you forgive with integrity. In other words, you don't need to cover over the truth about yourself. You don't need to be dishonest. You don't need to lie. You don't need to morally change yourself. Just kind of act, do the act. You don't need to live with anxiety because when you try to just do the act, you know what happens? You get anxious. You're always wondering where you stand with people. The transformation is not set in. And so you don't need to live with anxiety. You don't need to die when you're being criticized. You don't need to die in the face of criticism. You don't need to gossip. There's no more dissonance between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. You are a person of integrity. You know what that means? You know where the word integrity comes from? It's the word integer. You know what the integer is? One, two, three. Long time ago for some of you, right? In terms of defining these words, right? Integer means whole. You're not a fraction. You're not a fraction. You're whole. It means that you are consistent and whole with anyone, anywhere, anytime. You've come under the ministry of the word and you've experienced the truth in a personal way. And what happens is, verses 25 to 32, in the context of community, the change is visible. You know what that means, friends? You need community. I mean, all of this Verses 25 to 32, it's in the context of community. The whole book is about the meaning of the church. You need community, not just friends. If you're just hanging out and bumming around friends, listen, I'm not going to criticize that or critique that. That's fine. You need downtime in your life. But if that's all you're doing, you're not being nourished. You're not growing. You need a combination of the truth that is spoken, speaking the truth in love. That truth has to be given to you in a way that it's going to challenge you, sharpen you, nourish you, and it's got to be visible. It's got to be validated by friends around you, people in the church around you. The gospel brings us clarity where there is darkness. How does that happen? Third point, what is my responsibility in it? Verses 22 to 24 I'm going to kind of explain this we're going to bring this up now and then next week we're going to go into it a bit deeper and see how it kind of plays out with some practical examples verses 22 to 24 they show us two ends of a bridge that's the best way i can kind of i've read a lot of commentaries talked to uh, heard a lot of commentary right audio audible commentary and i'm going to just basically sum it up this way it's two ends of a bridge paul says you were taught to put off the old self to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. Putting off is one end of the bridge. That's the do nots, don't do this, right? Restraint, right? On the other hand, you have putting on, that do this, right? You need both. You need to put off one end of the bridge. You need to put on the other end of the bridge. It's not just one or the other, it's both. To put off and to put on, that's your responsibility. That's our responsibility. Putting off means this. It's to change everything that you can change. In the Greek, it's a single past action. It's a single past action to put off. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Take it off. It's a single past action. Even if you end up doing it again and again and again. To put off means what? Examine yourself and reorient every part of your life. It doesn't mean change your, it doesn't mean, Paul's not saying, I think you need a new job. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I think you need a career. He's not saying, I think you need new hobbies. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you are dead in your sins. That's Ephesians 2. You are dead in your sins and made alive in Christ. Now, put off the old self. Now, if you put off the old self, you've only done 50%. Because Paul says, then your other responsibility is to put on the new self. What does that mean? To put on, it's not about I had bad habits and now I need new habits. That's not what he's saying. To put off is to reorient away from an old way of thinking, right? That's put off. Reorient away from an old way of thinking, an old way of ruling, just governing your day, governing your thoughts. And put on, putting on is about shifting to a new way. A new life. You're changing the governing principle in your life. You're changing what is ruling your life. You have a new identity before. You had an old identity. Put it off. You have a new identity. You have a new uh, character. You have a new king. In other words, you've taken in the gospel. You, You have digested it. You've seen that it is good. And then you put on, you apply the gospel in a way that makes you ready for action. Paul says, you heard the truth. You were taught in the truth. Uphold the truth. Obey the truth. That truth is active. That truth is living. Hebrews chapter 4 says, it's alive. It's active. Study it. Take it in. Read it. Digest it. Savor it, the richness of it, like it's good food in your life. Why? Because it's more than just about knowing. You've got to digest it. Now, I'm going to say a few things here, right, because we've talked about putting off. That's putting off the old self. There are sinful parts in our lives that you know you have to let go. You will not grow otherwise. On the other hand, there are are things that when you look at the character of Jesus, There are things that you need to put on. That is your responsibility. Paul gives us absolute deliberate examples in verses 25 to 32, right? I'm going to give you a few. He says, put off, he literally uses that language, put off falsehood, right? Stop lying. And then what are you putting on? Speak truthfully. It's not just about putting off falsehood. Speak truthfully. Verse 26 right? You may be angry. Do not sin. Do not sin. He's talking about reconciling. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Reconciliation, properly, right? Verse 28, if you're stealing, steal no longer, but instead, if you must work, doing something useful with his hands. You see that? Put off, put on, right? Those are the two ends of the bridge, reorient away from an old way of thinking move towards the a new governing principle in your life now i'm going to give you some guidelines some guardrails right i want to explain this a little bit more clearly number one on the one hand if you're putting off but you don't put on what is that that's legalism you're just morally restraining yourself and you're going to burn out you're going to burn out because it's hard to do it's actually impossible to do unless there's renewal taking place in your life. You're constantly working to restrain yourself, right? You're chomping at the bit, but you're holding back, constantly holding back. It's a lot of work because you don't see the beauty of Christ in your life. And so this godliness that you can look to and pursue is not organic to you. And so there's no life in you. And as a result, what happens? What's the usual consequence of putting off but not putting on? There's loneliness there's anxiety, there's fatigue, there's confusion, there's doubt. That's what? When you have confusion and doubt and loneliness, what do you have? Anxiety, fatigue, what do you have? That's the darkness. That's the darkness in your understanding. You see that? Two, I'm going to say, the other, on the other hand, if you put, if you put on without putting off, what happens? That's called hypocrisy. You're still going to burn out because you're balancing two different worlds. And you want both worlds, but you can't have both worlds, so you're afraid of losing both worlds, so you're working hard to keep both worlds going. It's a dual life. It creates what? Confusion, fatigue, doubt, self doubt, anxiety, because you never know where you stand. What is that? That's darkness. Darkness in our understanding, right? Next, the, the text here, it doesn't say, then just wait until you feel like it. A lot of people say this. They say, well, before I lived a very legalistic life. I mean, for me personally, I'm a recovering Pharisee, right? So as a Pharisee, you're just doing things because it's the right thing to do. And really, you're doing it because selfishly, it, you want to uphold a reputation. That's essentially what you're doing, right? I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm a, I'm a master at this. I know. You, you understand the nuance of these things as you get older, right? But a lot of what we've done in error is a lot of times we say, well, now I've come to the gospel. Whereas before I was a legalist, before I was a Pharisee, now I'm not going to change unless I feel like it because it's okay, right? I'm not going to change until I feel like it. And you're wrong because the gospel is not Less than feelings. It's more than feelings. You're not going to always feel like it. I'm a pastor. I don't always feel like it. There are days when I wake up in the morning and I know I have to preach and I don't feel like it. You just don't. You're not in a good place spiritually. You're in a dry place spiritually and you don't feel like it. But if you've had a personal experience, if you had a personal encounter with Jesus, then you've had a personal encounter with a rational truth. Is it real? Because if it's real, then you will be committed to do something even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't feel like it. It doesn't matter how you feel. The text never says, wait until you're renewed in the attitude of your minds first. Paul says this, Put off, be renewed, put on. All three of those things have to happen. You have to make... Your responsibility is what? Make yourself available for renewal. Put yourself in a position that is advantageous for renewal. Don't just sit, don't just wait until God does something special in you, some miracle in your life so that then, oh, now I feel like I'm going to put off and put on. If you're just sitting there and waiting for God to do something... Has not Jesus come? Did Jesus not arrive? Has he not brought salvation to our lives? He has done what he has done. Put off and put on. That's what he's done. I'm going to speak like a, 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 a dad. Let me speak like a dad to you. Uh, not I mean, it's just past Father's Day, right? Um, let me just speak like a father to you. You know, sometimes if I had a child... I would say to that child, at some point as a teenager, maybe even as a, as, a, as a kid, there are times when it's confusing. There are times when it's dark and you're angry and you're frustrated. You just want to walk away from things. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's, you know, I need a change in my life. And, uh, you know, we, we lack resilience. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Something in your life is going to push you over the edge sometimes, and you lack resilience. What I would tell that child is this. I would say, you know what? It's cloudy outside sometimes. It's dark. Some, some of us have been in spiritual cloudiness for years, you know. And you're waiting for God to do something. So what are you going to do? you Are just going to sit there and wait? Because spiritually, then, you get fat that's what happens right it's cloudy outside it's dark outside does that mean there's no sun right you know there's a sun one day the clouds are going to kind of roll away and a sunlight's going to come through that's called hope it's going to happen there's hope that sun peeks through In the darkness, in the confusion, in the doubt, in the self-doubt, in the anger, in the pride, in the backbiting. And remember, you're breaking things as you go because you live as if there's no sun. So you're just breaking stuff. Let me speak to you as a dad, all right? The clouds are going to roll away. Put yourself in the best position possible. Make yourself as available as possible. For when that sun arrives, you can experience new life like crazy. That's what happens. We obey because one day renewal comes, right? Before you became a Christian, um, well, let me say this another thought here. The text also doesn't say, God, let God put on for you. Let God put off for you. The text says, you do it. That is your responsibility. The Spirit's going to give you the power to do it. The Spirit's going to give you the compulsion to do it. But the text also doesn't say, you are responsible for renewal. It's very important that you understand this, right? The text doesn't say you you have to renew yourself in the attitude of your mind. He doesn't say that. The text says, be made new. The text says, you put off, you put on, be made new. Being made new is the bridge. There's this incredible dynamic between putting off, being made new, and putting on. And so as you put off, As you put off the old self, you start to look at the beauty that is Jesus. You see the character of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, and you're made new. And as you're made new, there's wisdom and there's power to put on Jesus. And as you put on Jesus, you're being made new. And as you're being made new, you see the corruption, where you were, the corruption of sin, the corruption of evil, it's deceit, the deceit of your desires. You see that? And there's wisdom and there's power then to put off. Renewal is the swivel. Renewal is the hinge. Renewal is the bridge that enables you to cross from one end to the other and from the other end back to the one end. You see that? That's what happens. Before you became a Christian, when you're confronted about change, you know what you did? You may act like you're listening. You may act like you're hearing. You may say that you're hearing, saying you believe, but really what you're thinking in your heart is, this is how I am. This is just me. Paul says what? don't live that way. That's what the Gentiles say. It's futile in the thinking. You were not renewed. And so when you're not renewed, you're constantly deflecting blame. And the only way you deflect blame is to put it on something else. You're constantly making excuses. It's going to fuel your pride. It's going to fuel your anger. The best advice I can give you as I give Anybody who has conflicts in the church, what do I say? Focus on you. If you're going to write stuff down, write it about you. If you're going to think stuff, think stuff about you. If you're going to sit there and say stuff, say stuff about you. The more, if you even let, listen, it happens the most when you're in your private place, right, where you feel absolutely comfortable. Is God not there? Does he not hear? Does he not see? Oh, he sees. He sees he's ever-present. Think of you in that regard. When you're thinking about sin, think about your sin. The moment, you can make lots of progress, but the moment you're distracted by the other person's sin, boom. It's the corruption, the deceitful desires Paul says, put it off. Put that off. A Christian is far more self-assessing than that. Before you become a Christian, you take pride in assessing other people. And I, for me, I, always, I feel like I've been blessed with a good sense of judgment, so I took a lot of pride in my assessment of other people. But when you're shaped by the gospel, there's a certain kind of humility that sets in. There's a certain kind of courage, and that courage allows you to assess yourself because you know your old self. You know your sin nature. So you start to examine the areas that God is calling you to change. And it's not just the public crimes. What are public crimes? Your rebellion, your overt rebelliousness, your hate, your vindictiveness, your vindictiveness, but also your private sins, the gossip, the cheating, and the victimless sins the laziness, the lust, the greed. Now you start to ask yourself, is this in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus? In other words, does this really honor God? Does this really honor the king? On one hand, it's not about, you know, verse 22 and 24. You know, I need to put off and I need to put on. You need a bridge. God has to renew you. On the other hand, you can't say, I'm just going to sit around and wait for God to do something. There's a dynamic. It's like a marriage. There's a dynamic. God is transforming you as you are acting, and there's a tremendous dynamic, a beautiful dynamic between your act and God transacting for you. Do you understand that? That work, and, you know, it's, it's funny because putting off and putting on they're single actions in the Greek, but the bridge. To be made new in the attitude of your minds, the renewal aspect, that's a continuous, a word that represents continuity. There's a continuous work that is being done in you. You're constantly being renewed, and so you put off, and you're putting on. You're constantly being renewed, and so you put off, and you put on, and as you put on, you're being renewed, and so you put off, and as you put off, you're being renewed, and you put on. This is beautiful marriage that takes place between your actions and God's work in you. That's called strength. That's called empowerment. That's called, that's called encouragement. Renewal. Putting off, putting on. God transacting, you are acting. God's transforming, you are acting. This is how you change. This is how it's done. How do you do it? If I were to stop here, pray right now. Go ahead, go do it. Are you going to be able to do it? In Metro, you know that's not how we roll, Right? That's why our sermons are a little longer when I preach, right? Paul says what? Verses 22 to 24, put off the old self, which is being corrupted. Put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. But that bridge between the two, Paul says you need to be made new in the attitude of your mind. How are we renewed? When you look to the cross, when you look to Jesus, what did Jesus put on and what did Jesus put off? Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression of the imago Dei, the image of God. He is all God, all man. Thus, he is the perfect representative for us. Hebrews 1 says he is the radiance of God, the exact representation, the perfect representation of God. So, when we put on, we are clothing ourselves with Jesus, the character of Jesus. So when you look at Jesus, you see his beauty, you see his kindness. You see his compassion. You see his forgiveness. And you delight in that because it's for you. It's become personal for you. And so you desire to be like him. You put that on. First John, the book of First John says this, that you, the, even the desire, even the, the want to be like Jesus makes you more like Jesus. You know that? Just the desire alone to be like Jesus makes you become more like Jesus. And one day you will be a mirror image of Jesus. Created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. To be righteous means it's just a fancy word to mean that you're accepted. Created to be like God, acceptable to God. Created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. To be holy is to be set apart for God. So on one hand, you are acceptable to God. On the other hand, you are set apart. God has treasured you, set you apart for him. He says, this is my all in all. This is my treasure. This is my love. So when you love Jesus and you trust the gospel, that you are accepted by God, set apart for God, and so you live for Jesus and you live like Jesus, there is clarity. There is a joy. There is a hope. There is a peace. If you're experiencing joy and hope and peace, it's my hope that is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted. It's not rooted in something that's not going to last. If you put your joy in your salary and you get promoted, it's going to be even better. Your joy increases. But what if you lose your job? What's going to happen? If you lose your job, there goes your joy. If you put your hope in your children and your children grow up well, that's great. Your joy, your hope increases. But what happens if they do poorly? your hope fails. There's a joy, a hope, a peace when it's rooted in the gospel. There's a humility and a courage and a trust. Put off the old self. It's dead. It's corrupted. You are deceived. Put on Christ. That means put on his righteousness. He is acceptable. He is the perfect representation of God. He is the one who is acceptable. Put on his holiness. He is the one who has been set apart for God. How do you do it? Jesus Christ is truly righteous, truly holy, truly beautiful. And yet on the cross, he put on sin. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? When Jesus was born, he just emptied himself. When he was born, when he came down, he emptied himself. Jesus Christ the son Jesus Christ the king Jesus Christ the heir to God's throne but Philippians chapter 2 says he made himself nothing that means he put off his wealth because he had ultimate wealth he put off his power that was he had ultimate power he put off his honor he had ultimate honor he put off his beauty he had ultimate beauty and Isaiah chapter 53 says he put it off so much that we couldn't even recognize he was so plain nothing was attractive about him He put off his beauty. Why? So that you could have his beauty. He put off his wealth. Why? So that you could be rich in him. Why are you looking for this? He put off his honor so that you could have the ultimate honor. Every time you look for approval from another person, you know what you're doing? You're seeking. It's a spiritual thing. Approval. Righteousness. You want to be declared righteous. It is an ultimate thing, a cosmic thing. That's what you're running after. And when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father and Jesus won. And yet on the cross, torn apart, he says, now I'm forsaken. I've been torn from the Father. I've put off my sonship. He was disowned on the cross. The Father had forsaken him. And so he's lost his inheritance, lost his power. His wealth was being one with the Father, and he lost the Father. And now he's saying, I am cosmically impoverished. I have no home. I have nothing. I've put on the wrath of God. The wrath of God is just pouring on him. And he says, make me rich in that. Pouring out on him. It was just pouring out, pelting him until he died. No longer whole. He was the most, the person, the only person in the entire world that has ever had true integrity. The only person who's ever been intact. The only person who's ever been whole on the cross says, I'm falling apart. I'm being ripped apart literally and physically. And he did it for us. For his people. You know, I can say a lot more I'm just going to cut to the chase. It's a powerful truth, the gospel. When you look at the cross, you see the beauty of Christ. That's real. Is it real to you? If it's real to you, then you're going to put them on. That truth, he says, you were taught in the truth. You were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus. That enables you to look at every other thing that you pursue and see that as not reality, darkness, counterfeit, fake, unreal. Put it off. Put on Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. That's what he says in Colossians. He's saying the same thing. In the context of community, don't make it abstract, please. The worst thing that you could do here today is to make it abstract. Look, I need to like change some things in my life. Change it. Share it. Hold yourself accountable to it. Put other people that you know will hold you accountable to it, put them accountable to it. That is life-seeking behavior. That is life-giving behavior. I could say so much more. But let the gospel address It's all you need. The gospel changes everything. As we come to the table, let's take time as a body to savor the richness of Christ together. Will you do that with me? Let's pray.